A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi. Fever Dreams is no longer producing new episodes, so I wanted to share another political podcast from The Daily Beast. It's called The New Abnormal. Enjoy this episode and subscribe at thedailybeast.com slash podcast or on your favorite major podcast player. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to The New Abnormal Gary Marcus, who is a scientist, best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, and host of the new podcast Humans versus Machines and author of the substack The Road to AI We Can Trust. I'm really excited to talk to you, Gary, because I got to tell you, as a politico, as somebody who deep deeply believes in democracy, who deeply believes in information that can educate the citizenry to make important decisions about their day-to-day lives and about their representatives, AI scares the shit out of me. Just looking at what happened in 2016, what continues to happen in our body politic, what we have blamed on Russian troll farms in terms of their misinformation, the ways in which Facebook and Twitter were utilized for wrongdoing. I look at AI and I think to myself, oh my God, the future is here and it's a disaster for democracy, which is already hanging on by a thread. Tell me, am I blowing things out of proportion? I was just about to say the one thing I can say positive here is I can tell we're going to be friends because I think <laughs> looking at it the right way. A lot of times I do these interviews and have to kind of wake people up and you're already aware of, of how serious this is. So people actually ask me, you know, what risk should I worry about the most? I sometimes joke, don't worry so much about the robots taking over the world. First thing you do if they come right now is you close the door. Like robots can't even open the door right now. So like we don't have to okay. be so worried in the at least in the immediate term about like the Terminator kind of scenario. But we do have to worry what bad actors are going to do with the AI we have now. I don't think the AI we have now is even all that good. Like when we look back 50 years from now, at the AI from 2023, people are going to say, man, that stuff was bad. It made stuff up all the time. Couldn't really count on it. Like people had calculators. You type in numbers on your calculator, you get the right answer. Chat GPT, maybe you get what you want, or maybe you have to try with another prompt and maybe then it'll work or maybe it won't. Type ask for somebody's biography. It's almost certain to make some stuff up. So AI that we have have right now is not that sophisticated compared to what I think is theoretically possible, but it is powerful. So because it's trained on, well, we don't even know anymore, let's say trillions of words of text, it can kind of mimic the sounds of human beings. It doesn't actually know what's true or false, but it can make up things that, for example, sound like a newspaper, kind of perfectly capture the tone of a newspaper, but maybe say stuff that's utterly garbage. If a troll farm wants to use that tool, it's just an amazing thing for what they want to do, but we don't want them to do that, right? So a troll farm, for example, might want to make up some story about COVID and vaccines, you know, COVID mm-hmm. vaccines killing you. They can make up probably a billion stories a day each like citing scientific evidence that doesn't really exist with fake data, many, many copies. And then they can test those and some of them will spread and go viral. And so it's a really powerful tool from the perspective of people that want to create propaganda. It's like the best tool for making propaganda, you know, one of the best tools of all time. And then you combine that with the deep fakes, the images. Yeah. Probably you saw like the fake pictures of Trump being arrested. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, I actually like the one of the Pope in the coat. You know, sometimes they're entertaining, but also the, these things could be used to stir up anger and so forth. So we have it now where somebody could make like a fake newspaper site, spoof that site, make a whole set of articles, whole set of pictures to go with it. 
fool a lot of people. And we already are seeing people start to make fake sites like that, that are all computer generated or largely computer generated. NewsGuard just released a study and they found like 45 sites that were largely computer generated. And that's just, the tools have only been here a couple of months. By the time we get to the 2024 election, I don't even know how much propaganda is going to be, but it's going to be a lot, a lot more than we see right now. You know, what is so troubling is one, we already have an entire network in this country that is dedicated to disinformation and misinformation. Fox News just paid out $787 million for their human anchors disseminating years worth of lies to their millions and millions of viewers. What makes me concerned about AI, and you've said this in countless articles that you've been quoted in and interviewed for, is that this type of AI-generated propaganda can hit 100 million people like that in an instant. And that there is no way, I mean, you've talked about so that people understand, okay, this is a fake newspaper, so it's watermarked, or this is a fake, deep fake video image. So there is some type of, again, watermark that is used, but that that in and of itself is not deep enough in terms of the regulation that is necessary. My concern, Gary, is that we are looking to, and I'm going to be ageist, and I don't care. We're looking to octanagerians who don't even know how to use an iPhone, don't really even know what the purpose is of social media platforms to come up with the regulation necessary for AI. And I am not comfortable with the fact that they really fully comprehend what's at stake with our democracy, but also with the safety of just citizens in general. Am I crazy? I'm slightly more optimistic than you. Most people are. I'm usually on the pessimistic. <laughs> so I'm getting a lot of calls now from offices of senators and, and things like that. I think at least that people are waking up. I don't think anybody has a full answer yet. I'll tell you about my own in a second a little bit. Mm -hmm. But there has been a mood change. I think people were like, yeah, there's many things on our agenda. We'll get to AI when we get there. And there's definitely a mood change in Washington and you know in Brussels and all around the globe, people recognizing they need to do something. I think that the Senate offices that I've spoken to, which is several, there's a recognition that they don't know everything. They want advice. There's pretty good research on that part. I mean, they're up on the literature. I will give examples. Like I've been talking a lot lately about a law professor who was falsely accused of sexual harassment and everybody saw yes. post. Mm -hmm. um, so like people are up on that literature. I don't think that they have answers yet. They're thinking about it. I was a little worried today when there was a meeting in the White House. And mm -hmm. it seems to me that it was just four corporate CEOs, if I understand. Google, Microsoft. OpenAI and Profit. And what was not there were scientists, as far as mm -hmm. I can tell, unless I missed something. There were no scientists there and no neutral parties. So there are people like me that are skeptical about a lot of the hypey claims that have been made around these things. I'm not alone in that. There was no one like that representing that concern. And we can't really do science on these systems right now because we don't know what's inside them. We have a huge need for transparency. I don't think that people sitting in the White House today were going to emphasize that enough. You know, that, I mean, they have their own interests at you know, running these companies. We need the companies at the table. We need the government at the table, but we also need scientists at the table and we need people kind of representing civil society. It can't just be like, you know, a deal between the government and the tech companies. That's not good enough. Um, so I, I was a little alarmed by the composition of, of the meeting. I do think there's at least 
recognition now that this is important, that we don't need a 10-year study. We need some answers now. A lot of government bodies have been stepping up. I think the next thing we need is actually global coordination here. That's one of the solutions that I hear you talk about. So I'm excited for you to dig into that because you bring up the idea of global coordination. I think back to, oh, I don't know, 2020 when we needed global coordination around the health pandemic. I think about the Paris Climate Accord, which again, global coordination there, but you know, we're still careening into a climate crisis. So talk to us about what you think if things did come together and work well and have enforcement and regulation, how it could work. I mean, one good model would be the International Atomic Energy Authority. So we have a few times in history recognized that like we're all threatened here, that there are risks for all of us and people have come together. It's hard to bring together global coalitions, as you well know. But I think everybody has an interest. Like a lot of people are like, what about China? China is actually pumping out AI regulation faster than we are in North America. And they have some of the same concerns, like misinformation is a problem for them too. And there's a whole separate issue about propaganda and how they use these tools that I'm not on board with. But even they like don't want everybody to be randomly libeled and they don't want people to get bad medical advice and so forth. So there's actually a lot of shared interest. And you know, it's funny you mentioned Fox. I actually went on Fox today. I'm not a regular Fox viewer, but I think that this is not a right or left issue. And so one of the reasons I'm somewhat optimistic that we might be able to do something here is because I think everybody needs to be concerned. You know, citizens, you know, whatever their socioeconomic status, for example, need to be concerned. And I think, you know, Republicans have often classically been allied with big business, but it's not clear that they really want OpenAI to have all the power over the world or Microsoft. Um, and so it's, you know, not clear from their own perspective that this really makes sense. And so I talked to Fox, I talked to Lou Dobbs, I have a podcast that's going to come out. And Cavuto's the, the guy I talked to on Fox today. I feel like these guys understand the point that I'm making. There's definitely always some skepticism from the right about regulation, but this is a moment where they can see why we need that regulation. And so I'm more optimistic than a lot of people are that we might get at least some elements of what we need for a global coalition. I think the right thing would have enforcement, and that's obviously going to be part of the challenge here. But I'll give you an example. We can't really fix these things unless we do the right science on them. We need to do the right science to know even what the problems are, like how much misinformation is there? How much of that misinformation is generated by AI? How fast is that problem changing is one example. Another example is from the technical side. We don't actually understand these systems. There's these black boxes, as we call them, where you know, data in, output, we don't know what they're going to do next. And the critical question from a cognitive psychology perspective, which is my original scientific field, is how do they generalize? So you give them some data and then they come up with something. What are they doing there? And you see this kind of random arbitrariness to them if you play around with them. It's like one minute they seem like geniuses and the next minute they seem like idiots. Like how could they get that wrong? Well, that actually has to do with what the training data is and how they're very closely attached to that training data. They can't kind of step beyond and abstract. If we don't know what the training data is, we can't even make predictions like what is it going to do correctly? What is it not going to do correctly? Here's an example. With respect to bias in job employment, if you have a transparent system, you can look at the system and see what it's doing. You, for example, don't want it to take somebody that is a ballerina and say they can't be a computer scientist just because they like to dance, right? We know how to build some regulation around that and so forth. But if somebody feeds in a job record, you know, a resume and so forth into chat GPT and says, 
should I hire this person? There may be lots of bias there. And we have no way of knowing now, even if anybody's doing that, which I bet that they are, you know, I bet there are companies being built around it. Somebody pitched me a company yesterday that seems a little like that. I'm like, no, I don't think I'm going to help you with this. And we don't have any technical means to diagnose this. We don't even know how to build the measures yet. And so we're kind of in the dark here. And I think to get out of the dark, we need some enforcement around things like transparency and auditing. You know, we're going to have to go into those companies and say, you can't do this all alone. We need independent neutral parties to evaluate this stuff. One of the documentaries that I watched, I think it was maybe last year or the year before that it came out, was Coded Bias. And it was talking about how we're basically writing racism and white supremacy into code. We can look no further than some of the chat box that were taken down after 24 hours of use because of the spewing of anti-Semitism and racist slurs and what have you. And at a time in our country where racism, anti-Asian hate, anti-Semitism is on the rise, there is already a slew of disinformation and misinformation to purposefully create a bigger divide in our country. What do you think about the fact that, in my mind, as a Black queer woman in America, that AI is only as good as the people that are creating it? So when we're talking about regulation in terms of what people consume, is it even possible to look at it through a biased lens to ensure that, again, we're not creating the future of racism, the future of anti-Semitism at the same time that we're trying to create a society that is supposed to be equitable and have more ease because of technological advancements. Unfortunately, I think the default is exactly the scenario that you're painting. I'll clarify one thing. I don't think the systems per se are biased, but the data that they use is biased. And the systems tend to perpetuate whatever bias we've seen in the past, and they can't reason about values. So I'll give you an example. You could take a system that's from a coding perspective, kind of neutral and hunky-dory in some way. But you ask it, for example, if you gave it a historical sample of who plays in an orchestra and you went out to 1910, you'd say, well, women can't do this job, right? And we all know what happened is that eventually we went to need blind auditions and then women started getting the orchestras and now you know, represent roughly half of the people in orchestras. So if you have a system that only looks backwards, even in sort of in a well-defined way that's not mathematically anomalous, but it only looks at the past and doesn't understand values about diversity, equity, equality, et cetera, then it's just going to be stuck perpetuating the past. And that is what we're seeing in these systems that we have now. They don't have the kind of cognitive wherewithal to reason about human values. So this has actually been my pinned tweet for the last two years is to say, we need to figure out how to build a new kind of system that doesn't just perpetuate the past and can reason about human values. So I would say, you know, in the two years since I've had that tweet, there hasn't been a lot of progress towards that. The technology that we have have right now, basically what it learns is relationships between words as people have used them. Now, there's these new things we call guardrails. We can get into that. But the default tendency of them is to just take whatever happened before without respect to like why it happened before. So like, you know, redlining was a part of our history. And so that changed people's opportunities. So anytime you look at the empirical data of the past in employment, like 
that has been shaped by history of you know, redlining, all, all kinds of things we, we don't need to repeat here, but it's a terrible history. And so you wind up with this data that reflects this sociology and you have a system that can't understand the sociology of opportunity. I think it's a disaster. Not because like the programmers who build these things are evil, but because the tools that they're building really aren't up for the job. And we're not emphasizing enough developing new tools. We're in this weird scientific moment right now where people have a toy that is incredibly fun to play with and that's all they're doing. And the fact is we actually need some other tools that haven't been developed yet if we're really going to address these issues, for example, about bias. And if people are going to start using you know, black boxes to make decisions about insurance or housing. Yeah. Any of that, like it's, it's, it's going to be bad. I can see the, you know, the train about to crash and I'm not seeing people really address it very well. So, you know, I think we should all be pretty worried about that, but right now there's so much money in trying to use these particular tools that are popular. I don't see enough people looking outside that box to say, how else could we solve these things? Well, We'll have to unfortunately leave it here for today, but I'm always, as I'm following and, you know, researching and following your work, just reminded of the quote from Jurassic Park in 1993, which is where Jeff Goldblum's character says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think about whether or not they should. And that is how I feel right now about AI. In December, I wrote a piece called the AI's Jurassic Park moment. And I had a video clip of Jeff saying that stuff at the top. And I mean, it's, you know, Crichton, you know, was right to worry about unintended consequences of technology. That was a theme throughout his work, including Jurassic Park, where it's expressed maybe most beautifully. I happen to have met Jeff Goldblum a couple of times, and we know that he delivered, you know, that line masterfully, as he always does. It's where we are right now. You know, I, I think about that line like kind of every day. I mean, there's the other line I think about kind of the other day is from Donald Rumsfeld, who was not a hero of mine, who said, you know, the, the big are the unknown unknowns. There are known knowns and then there are unknown knowns. And this is exactly what we're seeing, right? Every week or every, sometimes every day, we're seeing some new crazy risk from some of these systems. Like first we were kind of focused around misinformation. Then it became clear they're going to be used a lot for cybercrime, that these systems can trick human beings into doing bad things. Then we discovered that people could use one GPT system, which is unreliable, to control other unreliable GPT systems, which extends the scale and scope of all of this. So like the risks are kind of multiplying. There's a lot yeah. of unknowns. That's true on the positive side too, right? I mean, people will find lots of positive applications that hopefully will help, for example, in medicine will not just be used to help students cheat on their homework, but will really have positive social impact. And it will take some time to discover those positive things too. But we've never had a technology that is this open-ended and also been adopted this quick. And so it really does, you know, put the pressure on for us to figure out sound ways to cope with it. Well, I thank you so much, Gary Marcus, one for your work and your continued critical thinking around where we go with this. And I really do hope that you will join us again on The New Abnormal because this was very insightful. I'd be glad to come back. Thanks a lot for having me. We had such an incredible time making this podcast and want to thank you for joining us each week as we explored the shifting landscape of the fringe right. To continue following the impact ultra conservatives have on the country, please tune into The New Abnormal, where our colleagues Danielle Moody and Andy Levy talk to some of the biggest names in politics every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Listen at thedailybeast.com slash podcasts or your favorite major podcast player. 
And thanks again for joining us on Fever Dreams.